beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Planets, stars, distant galaxies, nebula, meteors, comets, and everything in between. This is Good Heavens, a podcast about the cosmos and the glory of God with Wayne and Dan. As we come to part three, our final installment in the life, imagination, and works of J.R.R. Tolkien, we will be taking a brief look at what Tolkien meant by a term he coined called eucatastrophe. And we will also look at friendships in both Tolkien's life and his writings. Less than a year after C.S. Lewis's death, Tolkien wrote to a friend that, quote, CSL was my closest friend from about 1927 to 1940, and remained very dear to me. His death was a grievous blow. End quote. Writing to his daughter Priscilla only a few days after Lewis died, Tolkien wrote that Lewis's death made him feel quote, like an old tree that is losing all its leaves one by one. This feels like an axe blow near the roots. End quote. It was Lewis who inspired and encouraged Tolkien to finish his grand tree, The Lord of the Rings. As Tolkien admitted in 1954, it was only by Lewis's, quote, support and friendship did I ever struggle to the end of the labor, end quote, referring to Lord of the Rings. Friendship is an indelible and indispensable cord woven throughout the topography of Middle-earth. One cannot do battle with evil without a stout-hearted companion. Perhaps one can see a little bit of Tolkien and Lewis in Frodo and Sam Gamgee. Frodo could not have completed the arduous quest to destroy the ring were it not for the faithful companionship of his gardener, Sam, a rather unlikely hero from extraordinarily common soil. Friendships like those of Frodo and Sam Gamgee involve tragedy and sorrow, but also great joys and victories. These are the ingredients of what Tolkien called a eucatastrophe. A eucatastrophe is a kind of joy and hope that spring unexpectedly from our trials and tribulations. It is a kind of bittersweet and overwhelming goodness. In a eucatastrophe, tears of sorrow and tears of joy spring forth from the same source— it is a kind of living water that flows in abundance when the philologist in all of us falls silent.
The ultimate eucatastrophe, then, is found in the man of sorrows, who opened not his mouth when he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He was beaten and marred for our transgressions, laid in a garden tomb. Those he loved and called friends were grieved beyond measure. But they had no idea what was about to happen. Imagine what it must have been like for the disciples to see their friend, their Lord, and their God alive again. What words could contain the sight? What expressions would adequately contain the admixture of joy, grief, sorrow, and wonder they must have felt? As in the world of Middle-earth, so it is with us here on earth. In this life we shall have trouble, Jesus says, but we are to take heart, for he has overcome the world, John 16:33. God promises us that he will bring eucatastrophes out of our sorrows, turning our mourning into dancing, exchanging our ashes of lament and woe for beauty and praise. Though, as we have seen, Tolkien was not out to create a Christian allegory in The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, yet I think it is entirely appropriate for us to derive encouragement as Christians to see these elements of friendship and eucatastrophe as applicable to our own stories, which are often woven with sorrow, trouble, and loss. Whatever refrains of discord the enemy of our souls throws at us, we can know with confidence, even behind our tears shed in secret, that Jesus will take the despondent minor keys and arrange them into harmonies the likes of which we have never heard or imagined. So despite the rhetoric of many modern secular cosmologists, astronomers, and popularizers of science, we are not finally insignificant in the cosmic scheme of things. Each of us bear the image of our Creator, and each of us has a special part to play in the greatest story ever told. So whatever your hands find to do, do it all to the glory of God in Christ. If you have not already, be sure to listen to part two of our discussion about Tolkien for more context. Picking up from the end of part two, here is Wayne talking about the climactic eucatastrophe in Lord of the Rings. There it is. Uh, Frodo, the ring was destroyed, and th- that's the U catastrophe. And it all looks hopeless, and it looks like it's all for loss. Uh, it all turns out for right, good. Right, right. And um, I was just thinking of Genesis fifty twenty. It's a kind of a U catastrophe where we know the way Joseph was treated by his brothers, thrown into a pit. His brothers told his dad he was dead and uh, sold him off into slavery into Egypt, and they meant it for evil, pure evil. They were meant it for pure evil. But Joseph, after he is instated as the second in command in Egypt and is in charge of all the food distribution through the famine, he can recognize, though it's not easy for him, that God meant it for good. And therein is that moment where Joseph is experiencing all these emotions. He's angry, he's upset, he's excited, he's happy. He's going through all of these different emotions as he's trying to deal with his brothers who don't recognize him. 
but he recognizes them. And uh, that's kind of a eucatastrophic moment where he's, you meant it for evil. But through that evil, God delivered many. You know, God meant it for good. Yeah, Dan, could I, I'd like to read something from the Silmarillion. It's another example of this. Yeah. But but it's kind of almost a prediction from the early side of it. You read the beginning of the Silmarillion. uh, It's telling about the Valar in the beginning. And Iluvatar is speaking to the Valar. And um, so he's talking about Melkor, who was... Melkor was one of the Valar who turned to evil, and Melkor was greater than Sauron. And Sauron was the servant of Melkor until Melkor was essentially put out into the the void of nothingness and locked away. Um, So Iluvatar says to the Valar, he says, Mighty are the Ainur, and mightiest among them is Melkor. But then he goes on and says, And thou, Melkor, shalt see that no theme may be played that hath not its uttermost source in me, nor can any alter the music in my despite. For he that attempteth this shall prove but mine instrument in the devising of things more wonderful which he himself hath not imagined. Mm. So this, this is at the very beginning of the whole thing, Dan, and in the in the Silmarillion. And what happens is, the Valar start to create beautiful things, and as, as they create, Melkor comes in and tries to reverse everything they've done. He sort of turns valleys into mountains and mountains into valleys. And 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 uh, part of it becomes seas, and and part of it becomes kind of ugly instead of beautiful. He there's these two towers that were lights, and he destroys those. So he takes light out of the world, and uh, this is so. There's it's kind of a war of creation. The 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 Valar create beautiful things, and Melkor undoes it. And this goes on for a long time. And then that's, but that's actually how this whole world that is called Arda, the physical part of the the Middle Earth world, you might say, that's how it all comes about. So you have a, a kind of this conflict between Melkor and the others. but And it seems like it's a kind of hopeless conflict, but it's actually what Iluvatar uses um, to work out his his purpose. There's, there's, Melkor doesn't undo what Iluvatar said in the beginning. He, he ends up working working it out. This is so like what the Bible says about Satan. Uh, that in spite of everything Satan does, and he does terrible things, it does not defeat God's purpose. Now it leads and, to further accomplishing God's yes. purposes. So that's an aspect of Tolkien's stories that's very, very much like the biblical concept of Satan. Although Melkor is not exactly like Satan. 
No, but not one to one. But in some ways, there's a similarity. Right, and the 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 object lesson here is. Tolkien is definitely not saying, "Well, go ahead and and do evil that good may abound." Right. No, this is what the Apostle Paul says: "Shall I sin that grace may abound much more?" <laughs> Heaven forbid! Right. Right? right. This is not what Tolkien is saying. He's saying that that if you if you work your worst against the Valar, if you work your worst against my purposes, that you are going to actually end up fulfilling and accomplishing everything that I intended. And it's not that evil thwarts or outdoes or shunts the good, but that it accomplishes what God has sent it out to do. And I'm reminded of the passage in Job. We just did a podcast on Job. Um, And I think Tolkien, I think I got this from Dr. Ordway, I'm not sure. Um, But there is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in the beginning of the Silmarillion, when the Iluvatar are creating, they're singing, right? Yes, and that's a beautiful uh, idea from Tolkien. Instead of Iluvatar speaking everything into existence, which he speaks certain things into existence, but then he lets... He, he does it with a, a song, and the Valar pick up the song. Right. And it reminds us of uh, the passage in Job when God is asking Job, where were you when the morning stars sang together? Yes. And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, the angels that are singing here are not creating. Uh, I mean, they in are the in Bible, a sense. Yeah, the Bible's, yeah. They're, they're, they're singing a song. But uh-huh. their song isn't creating things, but in, that's the difference between Tolkien here and, and Scripture, of course. But yeah. um, angelic beings aren't uh, in the creative process of making parts of the world. But um, the parallel there is that song and speaking, and again, getting back to philology and a love of words, You know, whether you're speaking them or writing them or singing them, that um, Tolkien's world is a logos-centered, a logos-centered, a word-centered world, a universe created with wonderful words. Um, And this is a philologist's universe, right? This is what brings Lord of the Rings to life, is the way Tolkien painstakingly, carefully, artistically wove these words together. I mean, thinking of all of the ways in which he, he wrote uh, he created a universe, Wayne. He created a whole topography uh, that is at once beautiful and filled with things that, even in its mythology and mythical scale, that we can relate to. In some sense, the mythology is more real. I've read elsewhere where, uh, no, it was in fairy stories. I was just reading that. Uh, toward the end of fairy stories, Tolkien saying, in a sense, that we settle for things, you know, the factories, the machines, the the the, the war in our life, we we call this the real world, but but it's not. It's oppressive. It's it's fallen. It's not what it was supposed to be, and so in some sense, mythology and the, the way in which Tolkien constructed his his work was to give people a real picture of what reality is. There's objective evil in the world. There's objective good in the world. We all have it in us. We see it in other people and other cultures. 
But the, the real world is going to be redeemed. There is hope, like Arendelle, the light of the stars. And this is what I love about stars anyway. It reminds me of hope and God's hope and God's faithfulness and God's love and that there is hope for mankind. You know, but in the modern world, without God, you know, Carl Sagan's universe, there's no one coming to save us, Wayne. There's no hope for us. We're, we're yeah. here on our own. There's no overarching providence looking out for us. This is the sad state of affairs of the modern universe. There's no God. There's no overseer. There's no Iluvatar. There's no song. There's no joy. There's no hope. It's all just a mindless, purposeless grind to death without song or hope or joy or meaning or purpose. We're on our own. No one's coming to save us. And Tolkien's cosmology is a much needed corrective for, for our time because the, the modern world is so bleak and so awful and so bereft of this kind of story. Right. And I think that's why Lord of the Rings persists to this day in its popularity is because of it, it speaks to our condition so pertinently. You could read it 2,000 years from now and it will still be speaking to our condition. Yes, and I, I have to... Add one other little thing, uh, Dan, that I think is a great, sure. great thing about Tolkien. is lessons about friendship where um, there are certain extraordinary friendships and relationships in Tolkien's stories that are, are really significant, obviously, to Tolkien. But one of the most significant is the story of Baron and Luthien. Mm-hmm. Which was him and Edith. Where, uh, Did you know that? Yes, yeah. he used those on his tombstone and on her tombstone. Right. Called it, called her uh, Luthien and him bear, himself Baron. So Baron was the man and the Luthien was the elf. Uh, very special elf because um, her mother was actually a Maiar, not just an elf, but a Maiar. And uh, she sang went right into Melkor's castle and sang and put Melkor to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and then Baron gets a Silmaril out of the crown of Melkor, and then they they managed to get out of there, but Baron lost his hand. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's such an amazing story about Baron and Luthien. And then there's uh, Turin and... Uh, who was a man Turin was really the greatest warrior in all of the Middle Earth stories I would say Mm -hmm. amazing amazing warrior but he had a very good friend of the man uh, elf uh, named Beleg and they were close friends traveled in the woods a lot but in the middle of some place that Turin had been captured by orcs and he was imprisoned Beleg breaks in and tries to rescue Turin. And in the dark, Turin thinks that Beleg is an orc and he kills his best friend. Oh, man. A terrible thing. So there's some really tragic tales. And then, of course, the big big, uh, example of friendship is probably uh, Frodo and Sam. Right. you have Gollum that comes between Frodo and Sam. And uh, so Gollum deceives um, Frodo and and uh, Frodo becomes misled about Sam because of Gollum. And uh, Sam is often the kind of sane uh, 
head, you know, the clear head that to help Strono remember things and keep his, um, you know, his judgment on the right track sometimes. But Sam turns back and then almost gives up on his friendship with Frodo and then he turns around again. So even in Mordor, Sam goes back and saves Frodo in, in spite of what uh, seemed to be from Gollum. Right. And Tol- so Tolkien's uh, the- weaving of friendship goes back to his days as a student at uh, Oxford. You know, the friends that he made before the war, um, several of them died in the war. Um, but he he had close friendships when he was younger. That uh, And then his friendship with Lewis, of course, and the Inklings. And uh, so there, there's a great deal of, of um, you're right, the undercurrent of, of not going at it alone that uh, Frodo could not have done that journey without Sam. Um, you know, it, yeah. And, and, uh, I don't, I have to wonder how much, um, uh, Tolkien experienced about friendship in the war. Yes. Because often people who, who were in the military have some amazing stories of friendship that they've developed. Right. But, um, I think one of the real tests of a friendship, Dan, is uh, how well it can survive in spite of things that kind of make the friendship difficult. <laughs> there are times when circumstances come along and it can actually, we can become misled about our own friends. And uh, the, for various reasons, things come between friends and, and it, it but can we can we heal those friendships and can we um, somehow you know find a way to be faithful in spite of things? Right. Yes. That's a lesson that I think is a very strong lesson in, especially about Frodo and Sam and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, good way to uh, wrap it up. I think good insights. Um, we've covered. We barely scratched the surface. There are so many. Um, good uh places to go if you're interested in tolkien's writing there's uh letters of J.R.R. tolkien there's his biography by humphrey carter there's the book i mentioned about uh, tolkien and the great war written by john garth uh, there's holly ordway's book tolkien's modern reading um, there's a wonderful little book that i got that i'm interested in reading it's called the ring of words tolkien in the oxford english dictionary and uh, that's a it's a nice little book. And then you have uh, the Inklings, which is Tolkien and Lewis and Charles Williams and their friends, the, their friendship. A uh, fascinating story of uh, that group of men. Yeah, yeah, Dan, that's got to be one of the most uh, little known things that Tolkien is known for. Is least known for is he he actually did some sections of the Oxford English Dictionary. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, highly recommend his translation of Beowulf. Uh, it's fantastic. I read it in HBU for my degree and a wonderful story. And I, there you'll see, and as I did, you'll see, uh, some snippets of, of, uh, Beowulf, uh, ideas and, and concepts in Beowulf. You'll see that in, in Tolkien's writings in his creative writings. And then of course there's the magnum opus, the Lord of the Rings that may never have come to pass were it with, uh, were it not for the friendship 
that uh, old tollers had with Jack, Jack Lewis, C.S. Lewis, who helped him and, and encouraged him to uh, to write the book. But Wayne, I wanted to kind of close out with um, something from his short story, Leaf by Niggle, and we can end it here. Um, remember the stories about a older man who's frustrated with himself a little bit and who's who's kind but he's not kind he's got all these faults and sins and and he's working on this tree he wants to keep working on this tree people think he's obsessed with it and whatever but he loves to paint leaves and just this tree is huge etc etc and here's how kind of the story ends this is a little snippet from from the end of the story Um, before him stood the tree his tree finished if you could say that of a tree that was alive, its leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind, that Niggle had so often felt and guessed and had so often failed to catch. He gazed at the tree, and slowly he lifted his arms and opened them wide. It is a gift, he said. So the end of the story, Niggle is standing before a real tree. He's kind of, you get the idea he's made it, to heaven or um, he's in the afterlife and he sees his tree in all its variegated wonder and beauty in a way that he tried to capture but could not capture. In other words, kind of like First Corinthians, we see only in part now, but then mm-hmm. we will see face to face. And so to some extent, the you get the idea of the, the art of the tree that Tolkien, that uh, Niggle couldn't quite capture in the painting was now hmm. was now before him in reality and he was seeing it in all its glory the way he couldn't conceive of it just as a painting but he says hmm. it's a gift so so the art the ability to create the painting and then hmm. then seeing what what as the apostle paul said at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 knowing as we are also known seeing one day fully everything what it all means what our purposes were what our lives meant, seeing all of that uh, in reality as it was meant to be, being seen as we are known, um, seeing the things that we caught glimpses of in this life, seeing them fully in the next life. Um, it's all a gift to be able to, mm-hmm. to conquer evil, to, 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 to be heroic in the small things that, that we are doing every day as sub-creators. Uh, the ability to create, it is all a gift. Uh, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. Uh, as Ephesians says, that uh, everything, uh, every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow uh, or turning. That uh, everything that we have, our lives, everything that we have to create, our podcast, our friends, everything, Wayne, is is all a gift. That's right. It's all a gift. It sure is, yeah. So, uh Good stuff. We've been uh, rambling on for uh, quite a bit, and uh, I hope we've honored uh, Mr. Tolkien's legacy in this chit-chat. Um, probably um, have. Yeah, Dan, I've got a little uh, article I I did that I'm going to make. A, I'd like to put a link to. Yeah, we'll link that. It's I call it Tolkien's Fantasy World versus a Biblical Perspective on the Real World. Cool. We'll uh, link that. It's sort of a comparing his fantasy to uh, a, a biblical reality. Yeah. And I'll try to link some of the references that I uh, mentioned here on the air, if I can remember. But if I forgot, you could look them up. <laughs> Write them down and, and look them up. But I will try to remember to link uh, some of these references for you, our listeners. And uh, we do thank you for hanging out with us. And uh, 
Hope you've been encouraged and edified uh, to uh, jump into Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. You could start there if you haven't read Tolkien in a while. Get back in and uh, read the The Hobbit. I always like to go through that. That's a fun book. Yeah, The Hobbit is a fun place to start. But uh, when I've read it, Dan, I I liked going through it more of in in the time order. But it's mm. a, a hard way to do it. I mean, I like starting with the Silmarillion and going through it really in a time. But that's uh, the Silmarillion is kind of tough going. It's a, uh, it's not a very easy read. Mm-mm. No, it's it's pretty dense. I have not actually. I've read parts of it, but I have not read all of that all the way through. Like I have Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and so I need to probably do that at some point. Well, I did it because someone gave me the book. It was uh, well, there. You go. It was. <laughs> it's a good reason to do and, it. Uh, that was my excuse to start reading Tolkien. Uh, <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right, Mr. Spencer, if we uh, if we don't turn off the microphones here, we're going to be up till midnight. And uh, so final thoughts? Well, uh, I guess it was Merry Christmas to everyone. Yes, and- Merry Christmas. Thank you for a wonderful 2022. Uh, we had some yes. great podcasts this year, interviewed Charlie Duke. Um, and just, uh, it can't hard to believe we're closing out year. Uh, we're on our fifth year. We started in the September of 2017. And, uh, so it's been five years. It's been a, a great yeah, 2022. We're still, we're still going. Still at it. Still at it. Still questing we, on. And we haven't, we haven't solved all the mysteries of the universe yet. No, we've yet. just started to, we've probably created more. <laughs> how did these guys even get a podcast? <laughs> That's right. How do they, how do they, how, the, how can they? possibly be talking any sense about anything listen to these guys they're just nuts uh, right um, but yes you should listen to us because we are crazy that would be just just for the entertainment value so uh, but my apologies to all Tolkien fans that I may have offended by saying things I should not have said about Mr. Tolkien I am not a Tolkien scholar but just fascinated by the way and the interconnectedness of his thinking and how he went about creating Middle Earth and of course I enjoy Middle Earth and the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit as well so uh, Right. Wonderful stories. Uh, a great man, a good example to all of us about being able to utilize our gifts, the gifts that God has given us, uh, to battle dragons. That's right. So, Wayne, we will see you next time right here on Good Heavens. Good Heavens. Good Heavens.